Well, we are well into our series in the book of Ephesians. If you're out in the foyer and you want to come on in and grab a seat, this is the time to do that. So come on in. We're well into our series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Today we're looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. Um, I referred to earlier during the giving moment about my childhood. I was a child of the 80s, probably the best decade to grow up as a child, especially when it came to toys. Things that are outlawed now, like lawn darts, were a big hit until my brother threw one into the side of a car. Steve, if you're watching, sorry I blew your cover. Um, Also, toys were made of metal back then, like the Transformers I had, which were amazing, right? They wouldn't break. Uh, These were far superior toys to the toys my children have grown up with, things like Pokemon and Beyblades. Like, come on, what is that, right? But one action figure, he stood tall amongst all the rest of the 80s toys I had. His name was He-Man. And He-Man was based on the cartoon show He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He-Man was a warrior, He had superhuman strength, and he rode a lion, not a horse, a lion named Battle Cat. How cool is that? But He-Man was just the alter ego of a regular guy named Prince Adam. Now, Prince Adam, he wasn't super strong, and he didn't ride Battle Cat. It wasn't until he held aloft his magic sword, and he said, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power that he would be transformed into He-Man and then he would transfigure his pet lion, Cringer, into the mighty battle cat. I know, this sounds so amazing. You're all going to go home and YouTube this right after because there's nothing else on TV this afternoon that you would rather watch than this. But the reason that I loved He-Man's story so much as a child was because there were so many situations where I not only felt ordinary like Prince Adam, but I felt weak and cowardly like his pet lion, Cringer. I longed to have the ability to transform myself into someone strong and brave. I wish I had a sword that I could hold up and say, I have the power and be changed. I wished that I could stand up with confidence in situations that threatened me, knowing that I had the resources to overcome them like He-Man did. And I still feel that way at times today because I continued to be faced with situations that threatened me, troublesome circumstances that come along in my life that I feel have the potential to disrupt all the good in my life and the good life that I'm pursuing. And you face those things too. Whether they are health troubles or financial worries or relationship woes, you name it, the list goes on and on and on of the things that threaten our security and well-being. And in those situations, don't you wish that you too had access to power that could transform you into someone who could stand strong in the face of those threats? Well, in this morning's passage, the Apostle Paul, he shows us that we do. We have access to power. Power beyond what he man had. Power beyond anything in the universe. 
We have access to power that helps us to stand strong in the face of whatever may come our way and power that transforms us into the kinds of people that the living God is calling us to be. And in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, we see that we are encouraged to pray for power. Let's read. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, Paul begins this passage saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So we need to ask the question, What is the reason in order to understand what he's talking about here? In the previous section, Paul had described how the Gentiles, the non-Israelites who were once excluded from God's covenant people, were now full members of God's family through faith in Christ. And because they are now equals with everyone else who trusts in Jesus, they are heirs and beneficiaries of all the promises and privileges that come with being a part of this one body. And so it is for this reason that Paul kneels before God the Father and prays that the Ephesians would take hold of the spiritual privileges that are now theirs in Christ. Specifically, Paul is praying for them to have power. Paul begins by saying that he prays before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Many of us here because we grew up in church, we would be very familiar with this father language being used for God. Though God has no sex, and he is neither male nor female, and both men and women are both equally made in his image. It was Jesus who introduced his followers to this idea of addressing God as father as seen in the Lord's Prayer, which we find in Matthew 6. Now this was a radical shift for God's people who to their credit, they feared being too informal or casual with God, who's the creator of the universe. Something that we can actually take a little too lightly in our day. So Jews addressed God with deep reverence and respect, which is good, but they were too estranged from God. Yes, God should be approached with great respect, but God also desires intimacy with us like how a good parent desires intimacy with the children that they love. Paul also says that this heavenly father is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In saying this, Paul is re-emphasizing what he's just written about in the previous passage, which is that culture and ethnicity are not things that inherently include 
or exclude us from being a part of God's family. Culture and ethnicity are not things that inherently include us or exclude us from being a part of God's family. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, Chinese, Canadian, or Iranian. Paul says all families, all people from every culture and country in the world are created by God and created in his image. And so this means that we all have the same origin and that each of us has incredible inherent value and that we all belong to the larger human family. This means, too, that racism isn't just an attack on other people. It's an attack on God. For the people who are being disparaged are God's people, people he created and cares about, people made in the heavenly Father's image. And so there is no place for discrimination in the life of a Christ follower. Paul recognizes God as the father of all human beings. So in a broad sense, we are all God's children. But some of God's children are alienated from him, whether it's because they don't know him or they might be like the oldest son in Jesus' parable of the prodigal, where they refuse to accept God's love and mercy. But despite their rejection of him, the father still loves his children. In a narrower sense, though, God is the father of believers, those who put their faith and hope in God's son. And when we put our hope in Christ, we are welcomed into a unique and intimate and personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus that non-believers do not have. In Galatians 3, it says, Before placing our faith in Jesus, the law was our guardian. But in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And because the Ephesians are this kind of children, children with a personal relationship with their heavenly father, Paul prays that they would then receive the inheritance that is promised to the children of faith. And part of this inheritance is power. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what this power is he's praying for. He tells us what it does. In verse 17, it strengthens. Verse 18, it helps us understand. Verse 19, it fills us up. Verse 20, it works within us. He also doesn't mention specifically what in the Ephesians he is praying that God would strengthen with his power. Is it their faith he wants strengthened? Perhaps it's their hope and trust in Jesus. Maybe Paul is praying for power that gives them courage to stand strong and resilient in the face of temptation and opposition. Yes, I think it is all of those things and more. Paul is praying that they would be strengthened by God's power in everything. And we should pray for this power for ourselves too. And we never have to worry about ever exhausting God of this strengthening power as if he could give away too much and all of a sudden run out. Paul says this power comes from God's glorious riches. God has an endless supply of power from which he can draw upon in order to strengthen his children. 
But though Paul isn't specific about what he's praying would be strengthened, he clearly states how God strengthens us. First, it's through his spirit. He says that God strengthens us with power through his spirit and Christ indwelling in our hearts. Now, verse 17 in most of our Bibles is a little bit of a tricky verse that many of our English translations can unintentionally mislead us when it says, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That little phrase there, so that, might trip some of us up. But Paul is not saying that he hopes and prays this power comes to them so they can then experience Christ in their hearts as if Jesus isn't already residing in their hearts. Paul has already told us in Ephesians that Christ is in us as a result of us placing our faith in him and that we are also in Christ. I think what Paul is praying for the Ephesians here is that the power that they receive from God through the Holy Spirit will strengthen their faith, building up their hope and enlarging their trust in Jesus. Thus, Christ is now taking up more room in their hearts. Paul alludes to this in his next sentence when he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, and here he gives us two word pictures of what this strengthening looks like. Let's take on the second one first, established in love. That word established that the NIV uses, in other translations, it is interpreted as grounded it's the picture of a foundation of a building, one that is laid deep and so strong that the building cannot be pushed over. The other image of being rooted is the picture of a tree whose roots go far down, deep into the, soils, the soil of faith, so that the tree above the earth, though it might face high winds and storms, it can never be toppled over. I remember one winter after a huge windstorm here in the Lower Mainland, our family took a trip out to White Rock to go for a family walk. And we saw this tree that had been ripped out by its roots. And as you can see in these pictures here, it had landed on a shed and on a car, utterly obliterating them. Thank God it didn't land on the house with anybody in it. It was incredible to see. But it made me think, if we don't have deep roots of faith, if we don't have a strong foundation, then when we are faced with life's storms, we could end up like that tree. We could become uprooted, and it could end up causing a lot of destruction for ourselves, but also for others in our lives. And so we need to pray for this power. Now, some people get a little nervous when they hear talk of acquiring power. Perhaps that's because in the world in which we live, power-hungry people, they seem to use the power that they obtain for all the wrong reasons. But the power that Paul is praying for the Ephesians is of a certain quality. Its defining characteristic is love. Paul prays that they would be rooted and established in love, that they would they would gain and grasp and know love. 
But love itself is a bit of a loaded word in our day that's been co-opted by many different groups to mean a lot of different things. And so we need to define what does Paul mean by love here? And the love that Paul is talking about here is the love that is embodied in Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect expression of God in heaven. The Apostle John wrote, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. And Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love. And as the Lord of our lives, the one who we are to model ourselves after, we know with confidence how this love is to look like in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So if we are concerned, so, sorry, so if the power we're to pray for has the qualities of the love of Christ, we don't need to be worried that power-hungry people will use it and abuse it for all the wrong reasons because we see in Jesus that this love is demonstrated in self-sacrificing service to others. And that is what is the earmark of this love and this power. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us more characteristics of this love, saying, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, this description of love that Paul gives us here, it could easily be used as a description for God. We could replace the word love there with the word God or Jesus, and it would accurately describe him. Not only that, it's also a description for the kind of power that Paul is praying that the Ephesians and we would experience. Paul could say, I pray that you would be strengthened with power, this power that is kind that does not boast. This power is not self-seeking or easily angered. The power of God, the power God wants you to be filled with does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This power always protects and trusts. It always hopes. This power perseveres. Pray for this power. Can you imagine the kind of transformation power like this would bring, not only in the life of a believer, but in our world? We should be praying for this power. There's two more unique things about this power that God wants us to have. First, it's more effective when we are together than when we're apart. It's more effective when we're together than when we're apart. Paul prays that the Ephesians may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. There is something significant about us being together. When we're together, God's power not only has the chance to be on display through our love and service to one another, but by being multiplied through our coming together, this power makes us smarter. 
Paul says that when we come together, we have a better chance of grasping, of understanding this extraordinary, huge love of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a prayer retreat with some other pastors from the Tri-Cities. We went over to Bowen Island. And there we spent a lot of time in silence, practicing some listening prayers and some Lectio Divina, where we read scripture and we asked God's spirit to speak to us. And then we shared what we felt the Lord was saying to each one of us. And it was incredible how through this experience, God gave us similar themes or words of encouragement for one another. And through all of this, this whole group was built up and we were made wiser about the ways Christ loves us through one another. There are just some things we cannot understand on our own. Theologian F.F. Bruce says, the deep things of God are more likely to be apprehended by his children in fellowship with one another than in isolation. So the first thing about this love and power is that it's more effective when we're together than it is when we're apart. The second thing is, is a unique characteristic of this power is that it's for gaining knowledge of God's love. Paul prays that you may have power to grasp the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's quite an interesting phrase if you pause to think about it. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that an oxymoron? Like to know something unknowable. No wonder we need God's power. But here's why this knowledge of God's love is so important for us. It is the thing that transforms us. God's love is what lays down that rock-solid foundation that each of us needs so that we won't be toppled over when the storms of life come our way, and the storms will come. But his love is what makes it possible for us to be strong and courageous when we are faced with difficulty and disaster. This love, it's the magic sword that He-Man could only dream of. It's the thing that you and I, we can hold it aloft and say, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, I have the power, and so do you. You see, we need God's power to understand and be filled up with His love. And Paul prays for the Ephesians to be filled up with this power so that they would be strengthened and transformed and made secure And that's what I want for me, to be strengthened, to be made secure, to be transformed. Are you praying for this power? Are you looking to God's power to be the strengthening source in your life, to be the thing that secures you? Or is it just in addition to what you're really placing your hope and confidence in? You see, Many of us, we will send up prayers when things get tough. We will concede God can do something. But if we did a real honest assessment, we're not really counting on him. He's more like insurance. Often our real confidence is in something else. Maybe it's in our bank accounts. We're relying on our own abilities to help ourselves or putting our hope in some expert in order to come to our rescue. 
But you know, from the very first pages of the Bible, it's been well documented how we humans have continued to rely on ourselves or look to other sources of power as our primary source for help rather than relying on God as he has created us to. You know, I learned this lesson myself earlier this week when my friend Dale Barkman called me up and he told me that all of a sudden we had a couple dozen open slots for our cold wet weather map program that needed to be filled. And my instinct was right away, let's write an email and let's call some people up right away. Dale suggested that perhaps we slow down and we first pray and maybe send an email to our prayer team and ask them to pray as well. And they did. And in an incredibly short time, almost every single spot was filled. Maybe they all are now. I saw that there was one remaining. But Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use other resources that are at our disposal to help us out. We should. We need to be wise with what God's given us. But what are we ultimately counting on to come to our rescue? Are we relying on ourselves or other things for our salvation? Because if we are, I think we'll be, we will be sorely disappointed. Jesus, he is the only Savior. Jesus is our greatest hope. And as Lord of the universe, all power is at his disposal. And as his children... As his dearly loved children, God wants to give us an incredible share in his power, but we need to be relying on him, not ourselves or anything else. And you know, I don't remember talking a lot about God's power in the church that I grew up in, so as an adult, it's made me a little tense when other people do. But I also don't want to hold back any longer. I want every good gift that the Father has to give I want his power. I want to be transformed. I want to be made secure by it. And I want to be filled up with the fullness of God. And I not only want that for myself, I also want that for you. And so we can pray for this power for ourselves and for others, just like Paul did. We can pray for this power. But rather than just talk about it, Maybe we should actually do it. So Paul writes at the beginning of this passage, I kneel before the Father. Now, our little pews here are a little, they're not very conducive for kneeling. But I want to take time right now and pray for this power for all of us. So rather than kneel, I want to ask you if you would open your hands like this. You can, you can put them down on your lap so no one has to see if you don't want. But this would be a sign that like Paul, we're coming before God for ourselves, for those around us, for our church community. And we're willing to receive the power that God wants for us. And so we open our hands before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And we pray, Lord, that out of your glorious riches that you would strengthen us with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Would Christ take up more and more space in our hearts? Lord, would you take up all the room in our hearts? And we pray that we would be rooted and established in love and that we would have power together 
together here at Calvary and with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And that we would come to know this love, know it deeply and personally and intimately. This love that surpasses knowledge. Please fill us up to the measure of all the fullness of God, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So a few other things that we should take away from a message like this. Number one, it should be obvious. We need to be praying. We need to be people who are praying. Theologian N.T. Wright says, those who want their actions to be effective for God's kingdom should redouble their time and effort in prayer. Prayer brings together love and power. The relation of love that grows up between God and the person who prays and the flowing of power from God to and especially through that person. So do you want to love God more and want to experience more of his power? Pray. Second, to know the love of Christ involves personal knowledge of him. And just like getting to know anybody else, it takes time. So time praying, time listening, time spent reading the scriptures. And I know that time is one of our most precious commodities and we are hard-pressed to give it up. But spiritual exercises like this make demands on our lives. But we will not grow in the knowledge of the love of Christ if we're not spending time with him daily. And finally, in the last part of this, sec- of this scripture, we are, it says that we are to give God glory. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here this word glory, it focuses on the praise and honor that should be given to God for all that he has done, for his power in us, for his love, and for his saving work. And so thankfulness to the gift giver needs to be expressed if we truly value the gifts. And so we need to be people who praise and honor God with all that we have for all that he has done. And what better way is there for us to respond than for us to sing his praises? So I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Please, would you stand with us as we pray We're not going to just sing a closing song. We are going to give glory to our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your generosity to us. Thank you that you don't withhold any good gift from your children. Thank you that we can trust you. Even when things are complicated and we don't understand, thank you that you are faithful. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen each of us, strengthen our faith and our courage, strengthen our love for you and for one another. And would you continue to transform us into the people who are salt and light in this world that others may come to know the kindness of God as we have experienced it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.